but uh, we have been going through the Gospel of Luke, and going through the Gospel of Luke, we've been looking at this story of, of Jesus, of who Jesus is, of, of how Jesus made a difference in people's lives, and, and just did some really incredible things. And so last week, the story that we were looking at was this huge, literal mountaintop experience. We use that term mountaintop experience, right? Well, this was the mountaintop experience with Jesus, where uh, Jesus and three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, got to go up the mountain, and and Jesus revealed just a a little picture of how glorious, how incredibly powerful and, and, and wonderful he was. So last week, we've got that great picture of this glorious Jesus showing a little bit of who he really was up on top of the mountain. And then this week now, it's time for them to come back down the mountain. It's time for them to come back down off of the the, the special moment, come back into the normal day-in, day-out trenches of life. And and I think Luke wanted us to see a contrast here. So before we jump in, I want to just point out a couple of things. So uh, last week we saw Christ's just incredible glory up on top of that mountain. But this week we also get to see Christ's glory. It's not necessarily on the mountaintop. It's not necessarily in the, the, the incredible, like, remember it forever moment. But, but there is uh, Christ's glory revealed here in this week's work as well. And so Luke kind of pushed a couple of things together. He, he omitted a couple of other little random comments that Mark includes uh, to, to, to show us that and to push those two things together. But what we're going to look at this week is, again, the greatness of God, how incredible our God is, how incredible Jesus is when he works. And so we're going to see this week, we're going to see a crowd of people witness uh, Jesus showing that he has power over uh, a demon again this week and going to be blown away by the greatness of God. So with that, let's look at our verses. I'd invite you guys to follow along. We're in Luke chapter 9. We're going to read verses 37 all the way down through 45 and then go back and dig into them a little bit. Would you guys follow along with me? Verse 37, it says, On the next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And a man from the crowd shouted, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth, and only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they could not. So Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, How long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. While he was still approaching, the demon slammed him onto the ground, the boy onto the ground, and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. They were all amazed at the greatness of God. But while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement. It was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this statement. Would you guys pray with me? God, we are so thankful for, God, for your work in our lives. God, we are so thankful for these incredible accounts where we get to look at Jesus and look at his story as he wandered around with the disciples and and just did some really incredible things. God, he is the one that all of this is for, that we're here for this morning. So, God, as we come to you, as we pray, seeking your help, as we look at these verses this morning, God, we pray that you would help us to understand. God, that in your power that you would give us uh, ears to hear and, and a heart that would grasp what it is that you want for us. God, that we would see 
maybe a little bit of ourselves in the disciples, maybe a, a little bit of ourselves in this father that comes to Jesus, but God, that we would learn the same lessons that they learned in these verses. So God, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would lead us this morning during our time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, normally I don't do this. It's a pretty like standard pastory thing to do, but this week I went ahead and just went with it. So uh, we've got three points, and they all start with the same letter. So congratulations, you guys are going to be able to remember everything that we talked about today. So we're going to look at doubting dad that we see first. We've got deficient disciples, and then we've got dense disciples that we're going to look at. So let's look at doubting dad first in verses 37 through 39 in Luke's story, we see this picture of, of doubting dad show up, right? We see this picture as Jesus is coming down the mountain with Peter, James, and John, the three disciples that were on the mountain with him. There's this desperate scene that, that kind of pops up in our story. Mark's gospel, if we look at Mark's version of the story, it, it tells us that uh, there was kind of an argument going on between the nine other disciples and some of the, the teachers of the law. And so as this argument is kind of going on, we see this voice pop up, this pathetic voice, this, this heart-rendering plea that, that, that breaks through the argument and says, teacher, I beg you, look at my son. He's my only boy. Verse 39 in, in Luke's passage, it tells us a little bit of what's going on with this boy, right? It, it tells us that a spirit seizes him, that it throws him into convulsions, right? Matthew, as he's telling the story, it tells us uh, that uh, he refers to the child as being either an epileptic or having seizures, depending on your translation. This description of the child tends to bring to mind a picture that this boy is suffering from epilepsy, right? He's, he's dealing with seizures, and if you've ever been around someone that has seizures regularly, it's, it's a pretty scary thing sometimes. You, you may not know how it's going to turn out or, or, or what to do to help, and so we've got this picture of this boy that, that is dealing with these seizures, and, and in Mark chapter 9, it, it gives us a little bit more of this interaction between Jesus and the Father that I thought was important for us to add to our story today. Let's look, I, I want to read for you guys Mark chapter 9, verses 21 through 23. It says that Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? How long has he been dealing with these seizures? And the father said from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. These verses tell us that this boy's life has not just been one that, that has casually gone on as, as normal. This boy didn't get to have a normal childhood, a, a normal existence, right? This boy's life had been endangered several times by this demon, by this affliction that had been coming, that he had been facing. He had been facing this, this, this problem for years, right? He had been plagued by these seizures, by this demon for years. It says that he was plagued since childhood. This boy's been dealing with this for an extended period of time. I have to assume that, that the, the family has tried to seek out doctors, tried to seek out help, tried to, to, to look for resolutions in other places, right? They haven't been able to. And the father at this point is desperate that he comes to Jesus and he says, well, let's read it. Verse 22. This has thrown him into the fire. It's thrown him into the water. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Father comes to Jesus asking for a miracle, and he says, if you can. You guys catch that? 
Jesus points out in the Father in, in, in Mark's verses here the same thing that he expresses frustration about in Luke's story that, that we saw just a minute ago. He says, you don't believe. What do you mean, if I can? If, if you could do something, if you're able to, Jesus, do you think you could help us out? Well, of course he's able to. That's not the question, right? Jesus says, you don't believe. All things are possible to him who believes. But then the father in the next verse in Mark's story gives us just a, a, a very simple reply, but it resonates with me. It's one that I think all of us kind of have this same reaction sometimes, right? Far more often than I'd like to admit, this is me in this verse. Mark 9, 24. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. I, yeah, Jesus, I believe. I believe. I, well, maybe I don't. Right? Not nearly enough, anyways. He said that, well, Jesus, I believe. I I believe. I know that you can do it. Well, then why was the doubt in there? Why was the if you can thrown in there? I think he was hedging his bets a little bit. Jesus, if you're able to help, it'd be great. Faith, depending on God, is such a, a, a critical element for us in our relationship with the Lord, in our day in, day out walk of faith, right? We face a lot of difficult things in life. There, there are challenges that come up, sometimes really significant ones. Not, uh, it would be really unreasonable for us to say that life is just easy all the time, right? That, that things are just comfortable all the time. I look around and I see faces of people in here that I know, like, you've got stuff going on in your life. Very serious stuff going on in your life. And that's not to say that it's not a problem. But what we should say, what we should pause here and see in this father's response is, you know, we need to look to Jesus more. The solution is not in, in some other fix-it opportunity. The solution is in more dependence on Jesus, more faith in Jesus. The key idea that we're going to see a couple of different times throughout this passage is faith. Dependence on God is the most important thing that we can, can have as we face the challenges of life. Lord, help my unbelief. Second thing that we see in our story in Luke is deficient disciples, right? Verses 40 down through the first part of verse 43, we see this picture of the disciples that just didn't cut it. Let's read those verses again so they're fresh in our minds. Verse 40, the father uh, tells Jesus, he said, I, I begged your disciples to cast this demon out, but they could not. And Jesus answered and said, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. While he was still approaching, the demon slammed him to the ground and threw him into a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. We remember from last week, let's... let's Let's do a little math, all right? If we need to, we can go grab some of the kids. I, I think we can do this. Last week, we had Jesus go up the mountain, right, with Peter and James and John, three of the disciples. So if we've got 12, normally we've got 12 disciples that follow Jesus, right? Three of them went up the mountain. That means how many of them were left sitting at the bottom of the mountain? We got nine of them, right? All right, so we got nine disciples that are sitting here at the bottom of the mountain. Jesus is, is, is gone. We've got these nine disciples that are sitting there kind of doing whatever it was that they were doing. 
this father shows up with his boy. Get, uh, help my son. Please help my son. For however long Jesus and, and Peter and James and John were up on top of the mountain, these other disciples had been doing whatever it was that they could do to, to try to cast this demon out, to try to heal this boy, right? And they had failed. We've got deficient disciples here that, that had not been able to do what the Father had asked them to do. The, the, the root of the disciples' powerlessness, though, is not that, that God hadn't provided the ability for them to do this, right? You guys remember if you were here a few weeks ago, Jesus sent the disciples out on this little short-term missions trip around the area, right? Jesus, it's said that, that Jesus gave the disciples power to go and to cast out demons and to, to heal sickness. And, and he sent them out and they were going and proclaiming the good news of the gospel in this region, in the surrounding area. And so they had been given the power to do this. The root of the apostles' powerlessness wasn't in the fact that God hadn't provided. It was in their lack of faith and their lack of belief. Their failure wasn't because they didn't try said that they had tried and that they had failed. They did their very best, probably. A little bit of speculation here from me. I don't know what it was that they had done. It doesn't tell us, but they had probably tried some of the same things that they had done a few weeks ago when they had cast out other demons. I don't know what it was. If they danced a certain way or, or, or said certain words or, or had some process of how they had cast out this demon, but, but it had worked in the past, and now here it says it didn't work. You know what I think the problem was? And I think this because Jesus kind of says it in Mark's account. The problem was that they had subtly moved from dependence on God to faith in the process. To, to faith in something that, that they could do. Something that they could control, right? They had faith in themselves, not necessarily faith in God. This is evidenced by when, when Mark is talking about this story the disciples asked Jesus, they said, why couldn't we cast this demon out? And De Jesus says that, that this type of demon could only be cast out by fasting and by prayer. You know what that, that is, right? Prayer, ultimately, at the very root of what it is, is a declaration of dependence. It's a declaration of, of, of faith saying, God, I can't do this, but you can. Would you intervene in my situation? God, I... I can't do it on my own, but I know that you're powerful enough that you can. Would you help here? When the disciples hadn't cast out this demon that could only be cast out by prayer, what, what Jesus is saying is, guys, it's not, it's not you that casts these things out. It's not you that has power here. It's, it's God. It's dependence on God that ultimately it is the root of the power. We see Jesus rebuke this demon as, as we've seen him do so many other times so far throughout the Gospel of Luke. And, and we get to verse 43 where it says that they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Last week we see this incredible picture where like Peter and James and John, this, this small select VIP crowd gets to see Jesus in all of his glory. And now this week they come back down the mountain and and Jesus does this incredible thing, and, and again, everybody gets to see just a, a glimpse of how incredible Jesus is. Jesus heals this boy when the disciples couldn't, and, and Jesus performs this miracle. And I think we read sometimes, we, we read miracles like this, and we go, man, how awesome would it have been to be able to be there to, 
to see Jesus do something like this. Man, I wish I could see Jesus perform a miracle. I I wish I could see Jesus do one of these incredible things. My faith would be so much stronger if I could see Jesus do one of these incredible things like this. Well, you know what? Jesus is still in the business of doing miracles today. Jesus is still in the business of doing miracles, of, of showing his greatness today. We just sometimes miss it because it's not quite as, as, as flashy as casting out a demon. Let me tell you guys a few uh, examples, a few stories of, of places where I've seen God's greatness at work in the world. I've seen God's greatness at work in the world in the man or the woman who has sought love in all the wrong places, whether it's getting married so that they could hopefully find fulfillment in their spouse, being disappointed in that because that's not why we get married. Maybe it's in uh, deciding that your spouse isn't good enough and and going and and finding love in another place. Well, that's that's certainly not going to bring love. And, and, And looking at those people and seeing people that Jesus turns their life around. That Jesus takes the unfaithful man or the unfaithful woman and shows them that, that they can be loved, not by another person, by, by another relationship, but they can be truly loved in his arms. You know what? Well, that's a miracle. Somebody whose life is turned from, from seeking pleasure in, in all the wrong places to, to seeking it and finding true love and true meaning in Jesus, that's, that's a miracle story of the, the grief-stricken widow who just lost their spouse many, many years, who finds joy, who finds uh, uh, reason to continue on tomorrow in Jesus. Well, that's a miracle. The young person who deals with anxiety or depression, who doesn't want to get up and go to school tomorrow, who doesn't want to get up and, and face the challenges of whatever tomorrow may hold. Well, you know what? When they find hope, for tomorrow in Jesus, well, that's a miracle. When they find salvation and a reason to continue pushing forward, that's a miracle. To see God bring a, a success-driven family, a success-driven individual, someone that's just chasing the next promotion or the next report card or, or the next success opportunity, well, I'll, 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 I'll just find fulfillment in being the best at whatever it is that I do. Well, you know what? That ultimately leaves us chasing and chasing and chasing forever. And when that success-driven person realizes that true fulfillment, that true success, that true meaning in their life comes from Jesus, that all the other things are empty, but they can find it in Jesus, well, you know what? I think that's a miracle. All of these stories are are not just stories that I've uh, read about in a book or, or conjured up in my head. These are things that I've personally experienced, that I look around and I see some of these stories sitting in this room. Some of these stories come from my last church where I got an opportunity to sit and talk with a family or, or talk with an individual and, and wrestle through some of these things. And you know what? All of those things, all of those situations where we see God at work, those are miracles. They may not be a, a big flashy one like casting out a demon, but man, these are miracles nevertheless. If God has forgiven you of your sin, if God has turned your life around, if God has changed you in some way, you know what? You are a miracle this morning. And as you leave here, we don't have to look at these and go, oh man, I wish God would, would show some of this cool stuff that, that they got to experience back then. He, he still is. If God's given you a life of purpose. If, if God's given you 
love and joy and, and, and fulfillment in your life. You are a miracle. Let's look finally at these dense disciples. The last couple of verses that we've got, we see the dense disciples that are just thick-headed, that they just don't get it, right? Let's read verses 43, 44, and 45 again. It says, while everyone was marveling at all that Jesus was doing, he, he said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand his statement. It was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about this statement. So after the miracle, Jesus performs this miracle, and, and now he turns to address the disciples, right? He says, let these words sink into your ears. I don't know why, but uh, maybe it's just this season of life that I'm in, but like this statement from Jesus really resonated with me as I read it. I feel like I've had this conversation. I've got one or two of my kids that like it feels like we explain things to them, and, and they just, oh, yeah, 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 and off they go. I have to like grab them by the sides of the head sometimes and say, listen to the words that I'm saying. Let my words sink into your ears, right? That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, guys, slow down. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Listen. It says they didn't understand. It was concealed from them. I thought that was interesting. It says that it was concealed from them. So uh, we have to kind of ask this question here so we don't misunderstand. Is this to be understood as uh, a divine passive that, that God hid it from them? Or is it just a simple passive? It was just they didn't understand. Which one is it? So uh, Jesus' command in these verses, guys, listen to what I have to say. It, it kind of suggests that Jesus wanted them to understand what he was saying, right? So guys, don't miss this. Listen. I'm going to be handed over to the hands of evil men. <clears throat> Suggests that Jesus wanted these disciples to understand. The same Greek word is, is used in Luke 18 as Jesus is kind of having the same conversation with them again. Luke 18.34 phrases it a bit more clearly for us, though. It says that they didn't understand. Luke 18.34, the disciples understood none of these things. The meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said says that the meaning of this statement was hidden. It wasn't that God was, was sneaking around and hiding it from them. This also kind of just fits with the fact that Jesus had had this same conversation earlier in Luke chapter 9 with them, right? He tried to reveal it to them, and in Luke 9, 22, it, it says that <clears throat> Jesus was, again, laying out the plan really clearly for these guys. He said, guys, listen. You need to understand what's going to come. You need to understand that, that, that this messiah coming to to rescue you isn't going to look like you think it's going to look god wasn't hiding it from them but you know what i think was happening i think they were so focused on what they just knew was going to happen right these guys we we see the disciples as they're having these conversations and we've seen it more than once we see these guys going oh man the messiah's here right we know what the messiah is the messiah the the, the one that they prophesied about hundreds of years ago that that's going to come and set us free from captivity so so that means that that rome these oppressors that we have been facing and dealing with well, uh, he's going to get rid of rome he's going to overthrow there's going to be this great military victory and then israel is going to be the center of the known world we're going to be in charge we're going to be in control rome is gone <clears throat> Messiah is going to set us free. That's what the disciples thought everything meant. And so when Jesus says, guys, let me tell you what's going to happen. I think they were just so focused on 
yeah, Jesus, we, we, we know Jesus. We, we, re- we read the stories already. We know everything. You, you don't have to tell us. We, we got this. They were so focused on what they knew was going to happen, knew in their minds, that they missed what Jesus was really explicitly, clearly telling them. Guys, listen to my words. Listen, Linda, listen. Focus. They tell you, this isn't going to play out the way that you think it plays out. Maybe just a little bonus note for us today. You know, the old saying, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you should listen more than you talk. The disciples are, are kind of living that out for us again. We see this a bunch of different times throughout the Gospels. Jesus is trying to tell them, guys, listen. Jesus is laying it out, but they're just not picking up what he's putting down. A little reminder for us. A little bonus nugget for us. And I think it's hold on tightly to the words of Jesus. Hold on. If Jesus said it, man, we want to understand that. We want to grasp that. We want to focus on that. We want to pick that apart and make sure we understand every bit of what it means practically for us. Hold tightly to the words of Jesus, but, but maybe hold a little more loosely to the things that, that we think we've got it all figured out because the Pharisees thought they had it all figured out and they missed the boat. The disciples thought they had it all figured out and, and, and they just they missed it. Hold tightly to the words of Jesus. Don't maybe hold so tightly to the, uh, oh yeah, God, I, kn- I know what that means. I, I don't have to listen to that one. Hold those, hold those thoughts a little bit more loosely. So let's wrap all this up, the last couple of minutes that we've got here. I, I think this passage for us is a re- reality check today. It's a reality check for us. The, the reality is, we saw it with the disciples, and I've seen it in my own life. Sometimes there's things that we just simply can't do in the Christian life. God tells us difficult things sometimes, right? We remember Jesus teaching a few chapters ago, telling us, love your enemies and, and pray for those who persecute you. And well, That's difficult. I can't do that every time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fail that. And, and the reality is that the disciples failed here as they were trying to do something good, right? They wanted to cast this demon out, heal this boy, and, and they couldn't. The reality is that, that there's times where things are simply beyond our ability. The disciples tried and they feel, failed, even though they were given authority to cast out demons. So why? What was the problem? Why, why did they come up short? Well, Jesus says here that the problem apparently was their, was their unbelief. It was their self-reliance. It was their, guys, I, I got this. I cast this demon out a couple of weeks ago. I, I got this one too. All right, I'm going I'm to do it just like I did last time. No. It's not about you, random disciple. Andrew, I, I don't know. Andrew's the one that resonates to me because I'm Andrew. They were focused on doing stuff in their power. Their power wasn't enough. You know what? What I just said a second ago, well, you know, there's, there's times where we can't do things in the Christian life. That there's times that we come up short. You know why? Because we're the ones trying to do them. In our power, we come up short, and I come up short a lot. When I get focused on, God, I got this. You helped me through yesterday. I can do today. (laughs) Here's the lesson for us to learn. Triumph over evil is not one in our own strength. It's one in the strength of Jesus.
Jesus is the one that, that defeats the enemies in this story. Jesus is the one that, that defeats our enemies that we face. When, when we face sin, well, Jesus is the one that helps us defeat that, not bowing our back up and, and being strong enough to face it on our own. Our task is to stand by faith in the victory that Jesus has already won for us. Paul compares this life of faith, this, this, this journey that we're on, Paul compares it to a war or a, a battle in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, it says, Finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. The next few verses after this, Jesus, or Paul starts comparing uh, pieces of armor to, to, to resources that God has given us. He compares uh, the, the, the breastplate, he says that that's like the righteousness. When we do the right things, it, it, it protects us. When we hold tightly to the word of God, well, that, that gives us a weapon to face these temptations that we face. That, that when we are prepared with the gospel, that when we have salvation, that when we have the truth, well, those are the weapons that we face. We don't fight a, a physical fight. We're not going off to war today, but we are going off to war every day, right? It's a spiritual battle. It's not a, a physical war that we fight. It's a spiritual one. It's one that we fight every day against our flesh, against our desires. It's, it's, it's the fight that we fight against being the person that naturally we tend to be if we try to fight this fight on our own. You know what? With all of those resources available to us, the truth and the word of God and salvation and righteousness and, and the gospel that, that Paul talks about there in Ephesians chapter 6. With all those resources available to us, there is no reason for sin to prevail in our life. The only reason that sin prevails in our life is because we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put them on ourselves, right? We focus on, God, I got this one. The disciples came up short. They were deficient when they tried to do it on their own. I will tell you guys, I am deficient when I try to do it on my own, and I think if you sit here and nod at me, th there are days when you try to do it on your own, and yeah, it doesn't necessarily work out. You're deficient, and you come up short on your own, too. But with all the resources that Christ has given us, there's no reason for us to fail. Our humanity, our flesh, will lead us to failure. When we fail, it's because... We've not used the resources that God has given us, that God has put into our hands. But if we turn in faith to Jesus, if we turn in faith, that, that if we remember those miracles that are at, at work around us in this room, those stories of victory, that God has brought joy where there was sadness, that God has brought fulfillment when there was just uh, chasing after all these things. We are miracles here today, guys. We don't need some supernatural casting out demons. or, or, or We don't need those things because we look around and I see faces in this room that are miracles. When we turn in faith to Jesus, when we acknowledge our insufficiency, but we acknowledge his sufficiency, that he is enough, that we can stand firm against the, the schemes of the devil, like Ephesians 6 talks about, we can have victory.
you know, how we do that? Well, if you kept reading, if I kept reading, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 tells us pretty clearly. How do we practically turn to Jesus for help? Well, you know what? Ephesians 6, 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. With this in view, be on the alert at all, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Guys, we acknowledge that we're not enough. But the way that we, that we acknowledge that and that we seek Jesus and we seek his help, that we seek, God, I, I need you to work in this situation, that the ultimate move of humility, the ultimate statement of I'm not enough, God, I need you, is by going to him in prayer with everything. Jesus, I can't deal with this situation. Would, would you help me? Jesus, I can't deal with this problem. Would, would you help me? Jesus, I can't, I can't fight this battle against this sin today on my own. Would you help me? Prayer is the ultimate act of, God, I can't do it. Would you? Would you help me? I, I know that you're able. This isn't a if you're able situation, right? A doubting dad. He's more than able. We just need to, to humble ourselves enough to ask. So with that, after the service is over, our prayer team is going to be out in the parking lot, off to your right. I think it's the red, no, it's the white tent, right? White tent, I think that's the one. If you go out the doors and turn right, our prayer team is going to be out there. If you've got something going on in your life, if you've got a issue that you just can't deal with on your own, seek, seek God. Don't be too proud to ask for prayer. Don't be too proud to, we, we've got about a dozen people in our church that, that faithfully, regularly, every week, pray for the needs of, of our church. If you need prayer, if you need God to work in your life, you know what? Ask. Ask God to work in that situation. You ask. Other people in our church would like to ask. I, I want to pray for you. So don't keep it a secret. Let's humble ourselves and, and seek God and, and do what these disciples came up short and failed to do. God, we can't do it on our own, but we know that you can do it in us. Let's pray together. God, we are so thankful for, God, for your work in our lives. God, I know that on my own, I would be just a, a giant mess. But I know that you are able to do incredible things. God, we read stories about how you cast out demons, how you, <clears throat> God, how you calmed storms. How you worked when, when it seemed like nobody else could work. God, you are able to do anything. God, help us to, to not just say that with our words, not just believe that in our head. Lord, help our unbelief, because practically that's what it is. When we focus on, God, I've got this one, that is our unbelief boiling to the surface and showing that, that really we don't, we don't think that we need you. God, humble us this morning that, that as we, God, as we sit here and, and acknowledge that, God, that we need you, 
God, help us to do that in the moments where it's a little more difficult. In the moments where I don't want to ask for help. In the moments where uh, I'm a man, I've got this. God, help us to be people that, that understand that you are powerful enough to solve any situation. This is not an if-you-can problem. We know that you're able. God, help us to have enough faith to, God, to seek your help, to trust that, that your way is best, to trust that, that if we bring it to you, God, you will work it out exactly the way that it should be worked out. It may not be the way we want it to be, but God, we know that your way is best. And if we seek you, and if we seek your help, and if we, if we will simply humble ourselves and come to you in prayer, God, we know that your way is always best, and that you are more than able. God, you are able. Help us to remember that. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.